0: Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, we continue our study of the time of the signs with author and pastor, Barry Stagner. And later, Dr. Larry Sparjamino will share a moment of prophecy concerning the return of Jesus. Our first event of the new year is less than a month away, February 16th and 17th in the Tampa Bay, Florida area. Is America in Bible prophecy? Find out from Donald Perkins. The latest details on the march toward a one-world system will be revealed. Biblical mysteries will be uncovered. And you'll learn how to have true spiritual victory in the invisible war on the saints. Biblical artifacts from Israel will be on display with an archaeologist ready to answer your questions. Tickets for this special event are free, but seating is limited. Don't be left behind. Register today. Friday and Saturday, February 16th and 17th at Hicks Road Baptist Church. Call 1-800-652-1144 for more information or visit the events page at swrc.com. Here is Staff Evangelist Josh
1: Davis. I'm privileged to be joined again by Pastor Barry Stagner. He grew up and still resides in Orange County, California and serves as the Senior Pastor of Calvary Central O.C. in Costa Mesa, California. He's the host of the lineup, which discusses world events and Bible prophecy each week and is the author of six books to date, including his brand new book that we're speaking about with him. And we covered a lot of ground on yesterday's program. We're going to continue on today. The brand new book is called The Time of the Signs, A Chronology of Earth's Final Events. And you can connect with him on his website, that's barrystagner.com, and find links to all the other platforms where his information is available. Pastor Barry, we are so glad to welcome you back to Watchman on the Wall today. Thank you, Josh. It's great to be with you again. Yesterday, we left off speaking about some of the things that we see happening in the church and the rising dislike of Christianity, Second Timothy chapter 3, and that important passage. Let's move now today to talking about the rapture. What are some of the most powerful passages in Scripture that point to the rapture of the church?
2: Well, you know, I think in looking at the whole of Scripture, oftentimes we'll find pictures in the Old Testament or typologies as it's referred to. Mm -hmm. And I think it, especially because there are so many rapture deniers today, it's important to establish it as a, a biblical precedent that God has done that in the past. He's done it with two individuals that are quite well known for this. Enoch, he walked with God, and he was not for God, took him. Then also we have Elijah in Second Kings chapter 2, who was caught up to heaven with a chariot of fire. And so these very familiar scenes tell us that in time past, God has supernaturally translated living human beings into the eternal realm, bypassing death. So that's really what the rapture is. What Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 15, that we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed, and then he says how fast, and that's in the moment in the twinkling of an eye, and mm-hmm. you know, I know there are those who have tried to calculate the, the speed of a twinkling of an eye, but I think we can just land on, it's going to be fast, yes, quicker than a blink, and that we'll be looking at the Lord and forever be with Him. So we have these, this Old Testament typology and these pictures of God snatching away living human beings into his presence, into the heavenlies in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. For God, since we're clearly understand from Jeremiah, there's nothing too hard for him. Mm-hmm. So whether it's one or 100 million or a billion, it's all the same to him. So he can supernaturally translate the whole church into his presence. So, I think if we start with the fact that there's a precedent in Scripture of people bypassing death, and that distinguishes them from those who the Lord healed or the the disciples uh, raised from the dead, you know, they all died again. But the distinction is people were caught away alive and lived forever. And that's what the rapture is. We're told that, that when we are supernaturally translated into His presence, that we will forever be with the Lord and you know this is one of the things that Jesus discussed hours before he was tried in a mock trial and and falsely accused and executed on the cross you know he said i i'm i'm going away but i will come again and receive you unto myself that where i am there you may be also and then mm-hmm. he described the place as a place of many mansions so he's coming back to get us so there has to be a means of transport for us to go and meet him as Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 2 Thessalonians 2 for us to meet him in the air with the dead in Christ and forever be with him. And again, there's only one thing that fits that particular component of our blessed hope is the rapture of the church. If it doesn't happen, there's there's too many holes left in Scripture and too many things unexplained. Mm-hmm. So if we just go to John 14, if we go to 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 16, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and read the first eight, nine verses, we can see the necessity of the rapture of the church. And then when we pair that with the Old Testament typologies, we come away with a pretty solid case that the rapture is just as strong a biblical doctrine as the Trinity or or anything else. And and Josh, interesting, if I can just, don't want to take up too much time here, mm-hmm. but Jesus said in Matthew 24, 44, that he is coming at an hour where he's not expected. And I ran across a stat not too long ago that the church, and it was a listing of of the world's religions, or Christians, I should say, numbered 2.42 billion people. Hmm. You know, that includes countries where they put your Christian or Muslim on your birth certificate. doesn't mean you're actually a Christian, but it's just your national identification, so to speak. Counting all the groups together that claim an association with Christianity, There are 2.42 billion Christians on the earth. This survey whittled down how many of the 2.42 billion believe in the rapture of the church. And the number was 6.6%, or 159 million Hmm. uh, out of 2.42 billion believe in the rapture, which fits exactly with what Jesus said. If you don't believe in the rapture, you're not expecting it. We've got massive numbers of people who do attend the christian church and don't just have it on their birth certificate who don't believe in the rapture of the church which i think is a major sign that it could happen at any
1: moment mm. yes they're not watching they're not waiting their eyes are closed they're asleep i think about matthew 25 when they have the wise and the foolish virgins and they all fell asleep mm-hmm. the ones who went in to be with the groom still fell asleep on the job. And I think the church, by and large, as you just mentioned through the statistics, has fallen asleep on the job. And we're talking with Pastor Barry Stagner about his brand new book, The Time of the Signs, A Chronology of Earth's Final Events. Friends, you can pick up a copy by calling us at 1-800-652-1144, 1-800-652-1144, or by visiting us online at swrc.com. That's swrc rc.com. You can also connect with Pastor Barry at his personal website, barrystagner.com. Pastor Barry, as, after the church is raptured, the Bible describes that the man of sin will be revealed. How could he offer the solutions that the world is looking for during the Great Tribulation?
2: You know, Josh, I think one of the important things is to, and that was the intention of the book, is to, to lay out the chronology and if we consider what, what we're watching happen today in the focal point of the whole world being the nation of Israel, and everybody's got an opinion about what's happening there, but we see the coalition forces of the Ezekiel War are operating together. Three of the five nations named there, Russia, Turkey, and Iran, all have military hardware and personnel on the northern border of Israel, and they have relations with Sudan and Libya and they all share, four of the five nations share the common feature of being radically Islamic, you've got this coalition forming, you've got Damascus in the news all the time, and I believe that it's quite possible that the chronology will be the destruction of Damascus will embolden, and that's Isaiah Mm 17.1, the destruction of Damascus will embolden the coalition forces, and God will put that hook in their jaw. Draw them down from the north and they will invade Israel. And God is going to react to their invasion and with flooding rain and hailstones and fire and mingled with blood and all the descriptive phrases we see there about Him fighting for Israel. When you consider the fact that He is going to get in the game, so to speak, rather than just be defensive and deflect the weapons like we've seen so many times since Israel was born as a nation. He's going to go on the offensive, and uh, he's going to fight as he fights in the day of battle. And I believe that is necessary to happen after the rapture, because Hmm. we don't see God operating in that fashion right now. So I think when we watch this escalate, and and should it continue, then you'll have the destruction of Damascus, you will have the invasion of the Ezekiel uh, forces, Ezekiel 38, 39. And I believe the rapture of the church will be in there somewhere. And then at the end of the Ezekiel War basically destroys radical Islam, because the vast majority of radical Islam is represented by the four Islamic extremist nations that are mentioned there. Then you've got the man of sin. I mean, if you think about it, say it somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but who's going to argue with the Jews rebuilding a temple? after God just wiped out these five major armies Mm. and left them dead on the mountains of Israel. So I think he's going to be an opportunist. He will rise to power sometime during the Ezekiel scenario. He will have a solution. You know what? Let's just bring this to an end. Okay, we've, we've seen these people invade Israel. It's clear that they're being protected. So let's let them build their temple on the Temple Mount and then he will have solved the Middle East crisis. Revelation 13, rather interestingly, says the whole world will go after him. Mm -hmm. Now that excludes, obviously, those who come to faith in Christ, which will be a massive number during the tribulation, but the whole world is going to worship the dragon and worship the beast. So he's got to do something pretty fancy uh, to bring that about, and I believe it's the resolution of the Middle East crisis.
1: That's fascinating. We're speaking with Pastor Barry Stagner and discussing his brand new book, *The Time of the Signs: A Chronology of Earth's Final Events*. Pastor Barry, how does Daniel's seventy weeks prophecy point to the pre-tribulation rapture of the church?
2: Well, again, I think recognizing that you know sixty-nine are fulfilled. Daniel was told that the weeks, the seventy-seven-year periods, are divided up into segments of seven weeks, which represents the time period to rebuild the walls and city of Jerusalem that happened under Ezra and Nehemiah. And then you add the other 62 weeks, totaling to the 69. And you've got basically a chronology from March 14, 445 B.C. up into the triumphal entry, which comes up to 173,880 days. And the Sir Robert Anderson and the coming prince has done some pretty magnificent work in calculating that. Mm. So you've got 69 weeks that are fulfilled. And, you know, the 70th week is still hanging out there. And again, like we talked about previously, the church was absent during the first 69 weeks. I think that just implies and and almost demands the church be absent for the 70th week. So that means the rapture has to precede the 70th week of Daniel, which is the great tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, the great and terrible day of the Lord, and all those other associated phrases with it. So I think it's a it's a necessity that before the 70th week of Daniel can be fulfilled, that the church has to be taken out of the way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so at the end of the Great Tribulation period, the seven-year period the Scripture speaks about, when we turn the page to Revelation chapter number 19, we see the second coming of Christ to earth with his saints, not for his saints at the rapture, but with his saints. He returns as a judge. and. That's caused a lot of people to question and wonder why does he come back with such wrath and such fury and and all this militaristic language and putting down these enemies? Why do some people have such a problem with Jesus as he's depicted in the second coming?
2: Well, I think a lot of that is from failing to rightly divide the word of truth, as Paul admonished Timothy to do. And there's not a lot of that going on today. And so the end result, at least in part for many, is that there is the God of the Old Testament and Jesus of the New. You know, I think what a lot of people overlook, and when you teach the Bible line upon line, precept upon precept, you're going to run across John 5.22, which says, The Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. People want today, they want a Jesus of their own manufacturing. You know, Mm -hmm. they want, I call him Peace Out Jesus. He's just cool with everything and everybody, and he doesn't care what anybody does. Mm. It's kind of a can't we just all get along type of approach. That description that you mentioned there in Revelation chapter 19, 11 to 16, gives us the picture that John had been painting since chapter 1 of Revelation of the glorified Christ. He comes back, and, and his purpose is to make war, and he's riding on a war horse. His robe is spattered with blood. And... His name is called the Word of god and and in righteousness he judges and makes war again, you know I think if we understand that he is presented in this light throughout the course of scripture and that he is the physical as as uh, Colossians one fifteen to seventeen reminds us he is the image he's the physical image of the invisible God, present and active at creation, and all things were created through and for him. you can't have a distinction between. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, they are one. And so for Jesus to come back in judgment is completely within his nature. It's just that people don't like that kind of Jesus. They want the Jesus that turns a blind eye to whatever they're doing and accepts all people as they are. But that's not who the Bible presents. One thing, Josh, I think that it's that proverbial, how could a God of love series of questions. Yes, that we often get. And I think one thing we even as Christians need to remember that everybody who's born is headed for hell. Mm -hmm. We are born in the likeness of fallen man. And so we all have a sin nature, but God sent his son into the world and he died for the sins of the whole world. So whoever calls on him can be saved. Yes, we are born headed for eternal separation from God. But God has supplied a means and a Messiah through which everyone who calls on his name can be saved. Yes. You have to remove this type of thinking that there's these two gods in the Bible. One is cool with everything and everybody, and the other is more judicial in his nature. Jesus said, my father committed all judgment to me.
1: We're speaking with Pastor Barry Stagner about his brand new book, The Time of the Signs. A Chronology of Earth's Final Events. And you can pick up a copy of that by calling us at 1-800-652-1144 or by visiting us online at swrc.com. You can connect with Pastor Barry at his personal website, barrystagner.com. Pastor Barry, you had some wonderful teaching and I enjoyed reading the section that you had in your book about the millennial reign of Christ, and you really addressed the purpose of the millennial reign of Christ. Not too many people bring that out. What is the purpose of the millennial reign of Christ on earth?
2: There's a lot of questions, and some say, after being with Jesus in heaven for seven years, why do we need to come back to this place? There's a lot of prophetic necessity of the millennium. Jesus has never sat on David's throne. He's never ruled the world. Jerusalem has never been the seat of his throne, the throne of human government. So there's prophetic elements that require a millennium. But I think the big question, especially when we look at what's going on during the millennium, and Isaiah and Ezekiel give us wonderful pictures of the majesty of the earth, and I like to describe it as when Jesus comes back, as Zechariah says, and his feet touch down on the Mount of Olives, and a valley splits open and living water flows from the valley to the Dead Sea and into the Mediterranean. We have to remember that at that point in time, all the sea life is dead. In every ocean of the world and freshwater stream, all the sea life is dead. And and these living waters are going to bring life back to the earth. And because of the descriptive phrases we find, the child shall die a hundred years old, the child shall play on the adder's hole, and the The wolf and the lamb lay down together, and these other things. I think we can understand that as the world is going to return to an Eden like condition physically, and on top of that, we're going to have one who rules fairly and righteously and immediately governing the whole of the world. There'll be no elections during that time, no judgment that is partial or plays favoritism. Jesus is going to sit and judge. The nations of the earth. It's going to be a time of absolute majesty that the world has never experienced. I really think that what we see there will be the first time that the world has been what God initially intended it to be, or, or as close as it could be to that, because there's still going to be sinners during the millennium. Mm-hmm. When he first started this whole process, there were two perfect people on the planet who walked in the garden in the cool of the day with God himself. I think the millennium fulfills a lot of prophecies concerning the Messiah himself, and therefore it's a biblical necessity, but it also, just in simplistic terms, I like to put it like this, that this place is finally going to be run the way it should have been run the whole time. That's because of the Prince of Peace ruling and reigning in righteousness.
1: Yes. And friends, we want you to know that you will be with the Lord Jesus Christ for all of eternity. Pastor Barry, could you speak to someone who may be listening that does not know Jesus as their Savior? How can they know that they can have their sins forgiven and have that home in heaven with Jesus for all of eternity?
2: The Bible makes it very clear that all men are in need of a Savior. We've all sinned. People find that offensive or repulsive, and we really shouldn't because we, we all recognize that we do things that are wrong. And the word sin just means to miss the mark. And God's mark for us, for entrance into heaven, is perfection. Mm-hmm. And we've all missed that mark. Yes, And so God has supplied one who never sinned in the person of his own son to come into the world and become a propitiation. That word just means someone who satisfies a debt. He paid, as the old saying goes, He paid a debt he did not owe, because we owed a debt we could not pay. Mm -hmm. And therefore, anybody who calls on the name of the Lord, whosoever will may come, and whoever comes, he will in no wise cast them out. So the point of the Bible is to remind everyone that they need a Savior, that God has supplied that Savior. Josh, I love some of the descriptive phrases about our forgiveness. He separates us from our sin as far as the East is from the West. He remembers our sins no more. He makes us new creations in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. As wonderful as those things are, it's kind of the ad campaign adage, but wait, there's more. Mm -hmm. He throws in heaven and a glorified body, Christ-like body, on top of all that. So we live forever with him in this universe that he created. And all of that comes by recognizing you're a sinner, you need a Savior, the world's only Savior is Jesus Christ, the righteous, the Son of the true and living God. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, trust in Him is what's being implied, to be who He says He is. The word confess means to see as or speak of as the same. So if we see His definitions of sins to be valid, and we confess those sins, we agree with him about them, then because he is faithful and just, he will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's wonderfully simple, except the fact that you're a sinner, except the fact that Jesus is the world's only Savior, and God has promised that if you do so in sincerity, he will save you and you will be born again, and he will give you his Holy Spirit as a guarantee of your future inheritance. So I'm with Josh. You need Jesus. And Mm -hmm. if you don't know him, you can come to know him today.
1: Yes. Amen. Thank you for sharing that, Pastor Barry. Friends, if you have questions about what it means to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, we encourage you, reach out to our ministry, 1-800-652-1144. Visit us online at swrc.com for more contact options. Pastor Barry, thank you so much for joining us on Watchmen on the Wall these last two days.
0: Thank you, Josh. Great to be with you. Barry Stagner's brand new book, The Time of the Signs, is in today's Resource Spotlight. In The Time of the Signs, Pastor Barry Stagner explores the events that will precede Christ's return. As he describes Earth's final days, he answers the many questions that people ask, including, why is the rebirth of Israel the most significant sign that the end times are near? What other important clues evident today reveal the closeness of the tribulation in Christ's return? Where does the rapture fit in the chronology of all that will occur in the last days? And, after Christ returns, what is next? As you study the signs Jesus foretold, you'll see amazing evidence that we are living in the very time of these signs and gain a clear understanding of what will happen and when. Order your copy of The Time of the Signs right now. Simply call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order on our website, swrc.com. The Time of the Signs by Barry Stagner, 1-800-652-1144. Our host, Dr. Larry spargermino is here, ready to share a moment of prophecy.
3: The Lord Jesus is coming again. He came the first time as a little baby to live on this earth, but he is coming again as the Lord Jesus Christ to take his people away from this earth. In John 14, verses 2 and 3, Jesus said, And if I go, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Did Jesus go to heaven? Well, he sure did. He went to heaven, and he is going to come from heaven. What will conditions be on earth when Jesus returns? Well, Matthew 24:37 tells us it will be just like the days of Noah. I quote verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of man be. In this moment of prophecy we want to think of the return of Jesus and the days of Noah. The Bible never tells us the exact date when Jesus will return, but it does tell us something about the conditions on earth when he comes again. Today, people are trying to change God's created order. In fact, the words trying to change God's created order are too mild. What is really happening is that people are rebelling against God's created order. Gravity is a part of God's created order, just like two genders, male and female, is God's created order. If you think you can rebel against God's created order, go and jump off the Golden Gate Bridge. As you head to the chilly waters below, you will realize that rebelling against God's created order is extremely dangerous. It will result in your early demise. So what are we to do as we see these signs? We're to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, trust Him, and tell others that there is a way to hope, joy, and happiness.
0: Jesus Christ is the only Savior. In the time of the signs, Pastor Barry Stagner explores the events that will precede Christ's return. As he describes Earth's final days, he answers the many questions people ask, including, why is the rebirth of israel the most significant sign that the end times are near and after christ returns what is next as you study the signs jesus foretold you'll see amazing evidence that we are living in the very time of these signs and you'll gain a clear understanding of what will happen and when order your copy of the time of the signs when you call 1-800-652-1144 lord willing we'll be back here monday ready to once again bring clarity to the chaos. Head into the weekend with the encouragement that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners just like you. Please visit our website, swrc.com. That's swrc.com.